This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Mark Nepo. Mark is kind enough to come back on the show again. Uh, we've had him on before. He had a very good response. He has uh, moved and inspired readers and seekers all over the world uh, with his number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening. He is a poet, teacher, and storyteller. Uh, new book coming out, new uh, online seminar coming up. We want to talk about uh, Mark. Thank you so very much for taking the time to come back on the show with us. Oh, it, it's a joy. I remember our last wonderful conversation uh, in your apartment in New York, right? No. Yes, I'm in New York. No, I'm in, I'm in Iowa and Phil's oh, in LA. Okay. So, um, we're on the move. Yeah. Good. Mark, your new book is The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. Now, you have been a prolific author. Uh, you've had a number of hugely successful books. Tell us why this one and uh, what brought you to it and why it's different. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Well, first off, you know, I mean, I've been blessed to be prolific, but Honestly, I think it's because, you know, I write about what I need to know and what I don't know. And that's a, it's the way I learn. So each book is an inquiry. I want uh, I, I have to interject. I as a fellow author, you're, we're always told, write what you know. And all my life I've said, no, I write what I need to learn. And you've just confirmed that. Thank you. You're welcome. Absolutely. And because if the truth is, if I wrote only about what I know, I would have written very well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, so so each book is, you know, I have an image of like if I was walking along the shore between the mountains and the sea over a lifetime and I, you know, and I've got a bucket and I scoop up what I can from the mystical ocean. And when it's full, well, that's a each bucket's a book. And then I go back and keep going and fill up the next bucket. So in that way, it's a continual journey. And what I discovered with this book was that it was a call, I didn't realize it, that there were many things I learned in different books along the way that all started to go together. You know, something I learned in The Exquisite Risk way back and then the book on courage. And now here it's like, oh, oh, these two are actually pointing to a third avenue of learning. So the, this book winds up being a culmination in a lot of ways of, of a lifetime of learning. And, you know, I, as you know, my books are um, intended for folks to, to journey with over time, not to speed read or race through. And sometimes, like with this book, I provide a structure to help with that. So this is 52 paths to living what matters, because no one path is it. And, and, um, and also because, you know, there are 52 weeks in a year and I'm, I'm inviting folks to read a chapter a week, then live your life for a week, be in conversation between the rhythm of your life and, and the lives and, uh, you know, eternal learnings that I hope this book <clears throat> opens. And, and the other kind of set, every book has a central metaphor as a threshold. And for this one, um, it was very much the notion of, of labor. And particularly, you know, we're all here because our, our mothers blessedly went through labor to pop us out. And, um, 
And then, this is the metaphor, we begin a second labor, which is a lifetime of experience that births the soul on earth. And everyone goes through it. No one knows exactly how to do it. Um, and all we can do is compare notes and, and take our time together and learn. Uh, Mark, I wanted to ask you, uh, I'm, I'm not an author. I don't write books uh, like uh, you do and like Phil does. And, and I'm wondering what, what two, two questions. One is, what is that process like for you? Are there certain times of the day uh, that you do it, do, 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 do thoughts come and go and you get, and, and the other question uh, related is, do you find your writing to be uh, uh, your, one of, if not your main spiritual exercise? Oh yes, absolutely. So, um, so let's back from the second question first. Yes, it, it is, you know, I think everyone, um, everyone has a gift if we can discover what it is and then let it be our teacher. And for me, it has been this space of inquiry, which comes through expression. So this is where the space of writing, as I experience it, is very akin to meditation, in, except that where, you know, all the traditions teach you to drop your thoughts and feelings. I just take notes. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's a space that when I can drop into that space. And it's really then a space of listening and recording versus this is what I have to say. And, and so in that space, you know, when I was young, um, of course, like any young writer, I was so, you know, unsure if I would ever finish anything. So I was very like, Oh, God, am I gonna finish this? Will I actually write a book? Well, you know, at this point in my life, I know that I'll finish them. And, uh, and so when I enter that space, uh, some days a lot of words come, uh, some days, you know, two or three words come. And it's really about being in that space and the words are the trail. And so, you know, I know that historically there are some writers who have said, well, you're only a writer when you're writing. Well, my experience is diff different. It's more like a whale or a dolphin. You know, we see them when they breach magnificently they breach the surface but they spend most of their time in the deep so you know which is it you know it's all of it and i think similarly all of our expressions whatever form all of our creative activity is like that whale or dolphin breaching the surface but you're 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 writing when you're just gliding in the deep before you even utter a sound so the, the, the first question is, you know, my rhythm is, you know, I'm a morning person. So I'm up, I'm in my study right now we're, uh, with you. And so I'm up in my study with my dog, wonderfully. And, um, and then I just enter that space with a cup of coffee. And, and, you know, I like to spend a couple of hours at least in the morning. And then, of course, when we were able to go out, I would like to, I would purposely do errands in the afternoon and wind up at a cafe somewhere in mid-afternoon to continue a little further during the day. And usually at night, unless something grabs hold of me, I'm just kind of hanging out with my wife and, uh, you know, just taking some time off. But that's kind of my rhythm. And, um, now that this has been uh, the subject has come up, let's let's uh, pursue this a minute because, like you, no doubt, uh, I get 
inquiries from people who want to write books and they ask things like process questions. So first I want to caution anyone listening not to imitate Mark's routine because it may not be the right one for you. <laughs> and, yeah. And, yeah, uh, thank you for that. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing is um, a lot of people uh, especially in the world of spiritual seekers, think that writing is pure inspiration and um, they don't get the perspiration a piece of it. So when you uh, have to refine and rewrite and edit and do all those things that are you know, not just uh, inspiration, uh, do you find a kind of shifting of gears, but it, that it's a different kind of uh, spiritual exercise? Well, yeah, because it, it's it's uh, the devotion to what, once something for me come comes through my heart or my mind through my being, then it's a devotion to detail. Mm-hmm. And you know, as Blake famously said, you know, you can see eternity in a grain of sand, and. And it's the, you know, the seeing through of that. And I think that effort and grace work hand in hand. But I believe in effort because I never know when grace is going to show up. That's right. So I push the pen uh, until it pulls me. And and so, you know, I believe in and I, a lot of times I, I wind up feeling like effort is revelation in slow motion. <laughs> Very good. You know, they think an image that comes to me is of a hummingbird. You know, they beat those wings like, what is it, 300 times a second, and it appears effortless. Yeah. But it's not. Uh, Mark, uh, we're recording this in April, the end of April 2020. We're in the middle of this pandemic. In June, you have a uh, webinar, a seminar, or a, a program that you're going to have online available to people uh, let, let's talk about that because uh, people will be listening to this, uh, many people, uh, before uh, you actually have that seminar, and if it's possible for them to participate. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you. So, so um, yeah, there will be three successive Mondays in June, uh, June 8th, 15th, and 22nd. Uh, you can register at www.live.com dot marknepo.com and um uh and it's each with their three 90-minute sessions and especially given the time we're in the theme is the one life we're given saying yes to life and the first session will focus on the nature of being alive uh you know the perennial challenges for being a spirit in a body on time in time on earth and the the second is exploring more deeply the paradox of the wisdom of a broken, open heart. And in the third session, we'll look more deeply at to what does it really mean? What is the practice of saying yes to life? Which very much is, you know, with all, I appreciate what you were sharing before about my path versus other people's paths. You know, I, in all my work as a writer and a teacher, I share examples, not instructions. Um, and, you know, our time together is devoted to introducing uh, each person to their own wisdom and their own gift. So uh, this is my first, you know, since we've been sheltered in place, I've just finished designing this this webinar. Um, 
and um, and I'm eager to uh, you know to experience to try this out. It'll be uh, you know on the Zoom platform, and um, and yeah, I'm eager to see how it goes, and I welcome anyone who who um, is moved to to participate. Phil, I wanted to ask a follow-up question. Go ahead. I'm very curious how this pandemic and this shut-in has affected you personally. Oh, well, you know, yes, there's a lot here, and I think it's very important to speak about this a little bit. Um, You know, one of the things that that I think has happened, and I've heard from other people that, you know, the, the worldwide trauma of this triggers people's personal traumas and you know you you guys know that I'm along I'm 69 but in my 30s I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma and I find it was surprising at first but that a lot emotionally and spiritually that we're going through collectively has echoed a lot of what I went through individually hmm. I I find that you know the pandemic just like cancer it's a disease there's nothing magnificent about it but what you know but every human being who's ever lived and will will be given the opportunity to be dropped into the depth of life and it could be a life-threatening situation but it could also be great love and great wonder and great beauty earlier in my life it happened to be cancer was the catalyst but what is opened is always more important than the thing that opens us and so my life was turned inside out and upside down and totally changed by going through that threshold. And the question here is, we are being asked collectively, how is this going to change and and open us? And I think that, you know, that leads right away to uh, we're being sheltered in place, but I, I feel like we're also being challenged to grow in place. And how is that working for you, Mark? I'm looking at your website. And I see, you know, you're you're used to uh, doing a lot of things in person. You give readings, you give uh, retreats and and workshops, and if uh, to the same to the extent that I do those things, I know that it feeds me. It, it's satisfying in a certain way, and you've had to cancel a lot of uh, appearances. Well, how, how has that been for you? And how is it doing things online? To, in in lieu of being in in with other humans. Yeah, th- thank you for asking that. It's been you know at first when we first started this, and it's it feels like we've been sheltered in place for for you know not four or five weeks, but maybe <laughs> months. I don't know. Time has just distended. But in the beginning, oh my God, you know, yes, I love, I, I love teaching and being in circle with people. It's my lifeblood I have. And so, you know, as I had to cancel a half, more than a half year and reschedule, they're all rescheduled, you know, for next year. Um, But, oh my God, you know, I've been mourning it. It's been grieving and trying to understand how, how will I, where will I be able to have that? And, and then through that, you know, having to learn, having to say, okay, how can I do this? online how can i do be with people and and so i've you know it's been a learning curve and i think one of the first things is um i've discovered that as long as you know like doing because you know i've been on you know i do lots of interviews uh like with you guys so um i'm used to being on zoom as a uh interviewee um but not as a host 
Um, but as long as I can see another living person, I'm finding I'm, I'm, I'm okay. If I have to just stare in, into the little dot, uh, that's, that's, that's challenging. That's yeah. difficult. Yeah. But as long as I can see someone and hear someone, then we've got a connection. And, and so, so let me share this, too, because this has been stirring in me. And it goes to a quote from Nietzsche. Uh, it came to him later in life and very unlike his early work, and, which I never really, you know, was drawn to. But his later work was very different. And, um, and this quote of his toward the end of his life, he said, I want to see what is necessary as beautiful hmm. so I can be one of those who makes things beautiful. Hmm. I think that might be the anthem of our day and as i've been you know i'm i know like probably you guys i mean i've never washed my hands so much in my life they're like <laughs> i got to use you know i never used lotion or moisturizer but my hands are just so you know <laughs> dry and it's coming off yeah but then you know thinking of nietzsche's you know quote all right that's necessary how do i how do i turn that into a ritual you know for me i've I found one of my poems that's about 20 seconds. And so now I recite that poem when I uh, wash my hands. And how do, how do we turn what's necessary into what's beautiful? Why don't you read that poem for us? Sure. It's called My Life. My Life. I am a fish in search of bottom when I surface, in search of surface when I bottom. And the ribbon of God's sea passing through my gills is what I feel and think and speak. Very good. Thank Very you. Nice. You, you, you know, Mark, uh, uh, I, I'm beginning to think that uh, human behavior after this pandemic, certainly in the United States and, and, and much of the world, may change significantly after this. People more of life might be online. Uh, people might uh, have fears of getting close to one another. We might have a uh, collective germophobia that's, that, that sets in. And, and this concerns me. And uh, your thoughts on that and also uh, how that might affect us collectively, spiritually. Well, yes, absolutely. So I think that, you know, two, two things here. I mean, one is absolutely, you know, as, as I've been grieving not being able you know, to be with people in person and and having to cancel these things. Well, then not very far after that, as I start to imagine eventually ever, you know, doing that again, all of a sudden I have this fear in me, like, well, how am I going to do that? How am I going to go out there for the first time? How am I going to get back on a plane? You know, um, and so this is a very real real thing for all of us. And I think there is a paradox in that, you know, and, and this echoed also my cancer journey. You know, I, I all those years ago, <clears throat> I went into a doctor's office and, and was diagnosed. And when I left that appointment, the door I had come through back to the rest of my life was gone. There was no, the life I, 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 stepped from into that doctor's office was gone. <clears throat> and I feel like 
however we wind up on the other side of this, the same thing has happened, and it's a real turning point in our age because the, there is no, you know, there may be a hybrid mix of moving forward and part of what we were were before, but there's no that that life is gone, and I think some of what we're seeing in the streets and the minority of people who are protesting, which, you know, I don't understand what they're pro, are they pro, that's like protesting gravity or biology. What are you, you know, what are you protesting? You, you know, you're protesting, it's like a child protesting because their parents forced them to take medicine. Um, but anyway, there's no going back. And I think that we are paradoxically being challenged to become more intimate with our inner world and with the unknown. And I love what Governor Cuomo said a while back. He said, my aim is for us to be socially distanced but spiritually connected. Mm. And I think, yeah, you know, because as I've been, you know, initially, of course, like everyone preoccupied with, I can't go out, where am I, you know? But then as I'm forced to be still, that doorway out is also a doorway in and when i accept that i can't go out and turn around the doorway to the inner world that inner world is more vast than the outer world and so this means that we are challenged to feed more than our fear very feed, good yeah uh, Mark, um, <clears throat> I was looking through your uh, introductory section of your new book, The Book of Soul, uh, and a few passages are, uh, uh, stood out. I want to ask you about one or two. Um, you say, we've spent centuries trying to keep things apart when everything in life wants to come together. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, and let's let's back up just a little bit to, as a way to speak mm -hmm. to. And there's a paradox here that you know, in life, everything comes out of oneness. I think I think the Hindu, uh, every tradition speaks of how life comes into being and 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 how it moves out of forms, in and out of forms. And the, the Hindu tradition has a very clear, nice way to look at this. So let's start with that. They have a trinity, which is Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. And so Brahma is the oneness of all life, of all life force, of all spiritual energy. It, it, it can't be just, it's like air or water, you know. And then Vishnu is the life of forms. And so all of that oneness, which is eternal and never dies, enters you, me, the tree outside my window, the life of my dog, you know, uh, a cup. Uh, a stone. And no matter how long anything ha has on time on earth, eventually the form will fall away and that oneness of energy will rejoin to recycle into more forms. You know, for mm -hmm. us, because, because we're human, we call that period of time a lifetime. But Vishnu is the life of forms and Shiva is that known as the transformer is when the forms break down and the energy is released. Now, in the West, we also call Shiva the destroyer because mm -hmm. if 
for the form that's being broken. <laughs> you say transforming, I'm getting killed here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, so what I mean in there is that, so now let's take it on a personal, very per as soon as we arrive here and are born, you know, one of the beauties of little infants is we still don't, we have no distinction between subject and object. Everything is still one. It's like an afterglow of being in the womb. Uh, and then in order to be here, the other side of the paradox is pretty quickly, there's a me and a you. There's an I and a thou. There's, oh, I'm here and that tree is there and we're, quote, different. And throughout life, much, much of our time is spent separating things, defining things, and then love and suffering break all those barriers down again until the saints and sages of any tradition, whoever you think they are, are those people who have rediscovered the oneness they arrived with as an infant. And therefore, St. Francis of Assisi, his love wasn't restricted to a person. He loved birds, he loved trees, he loved the air with the same passion that he loved a person. So this is our journey. And so, yeah, we, and here we are, we're being forced, right? So one of the ways we separate things is by uh, bending life to our needs. So uh, some of you may remember uh, Wayne Muller had a book on the Sabbath years ago and uh great book and in the one of the salient features in there was he he the jewish definition of sabbath goes back it means it's the one day a week that we don't turn one thing into another hmm. and we, we are being forced into a global sabbath we're being forced to stop turning one thing into another to see things as they are to rediscover their oneness. Mark, I have a question for you. Uh, you had to face uh, death, the possibility of death, early in your life. Uh, you've overcome that. You've moved on. Now, as we, we're in the same age range, we're at this point in our life where it's inevitable that we'll be all facing that. Uh, do you think that experience you had earlier in life uh, prepared you for this period in life? Well, um, I think it made me more familiar and intimate with it. I don't know that anything prepares us. I right. think, yeah, I think, you know, this is one of the humble things I've learned about knowledge and wisdom. They're not shortcuts to our incarnation. They're, they're supports. All the wisdom in the world, everything I've been through, it doesn't prevent me from being afraid. It makes me more intimate with fear. So, you know, I am, um, you know, there's a great old story, right, in the, in the Jewish tradition, uh, a little kind of focused little thing where, you know, Moses, after 120, he's busy, he's working on the next thing. All of a sudden, God taps him on the shoulder. He swings around. He goes, so soon? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, yeah, I, we never want to go. And, um, but I do think that, I think that, almost dying prepared me for life more than death mm -hmm. and you know because ever since then i've i feel like i've been eight and 80 at the same time and uh you know and and i've just kind of always felt this uh 
oh, this kind of standing point of awe with every day. And, um, and so I think it helps, which is what might happen now for a lot of people is the masks, the masks of our persona, the masks of our stories, even the masks, you know, our opinions are masks. Even the masks of our ideas are being uh, forced to be dropped. Stop turning one thing into another. And then, my God, then we can see freshly like Adam and Eve all over again and go, oh, my God. Yeah, you're alive, too. And this is right at all the traditions. You know, we look at Martin Buber, his great I, thou. That's what that's the kind of revelation of awareness he's talking about when we can see each other as authentic living beings. And he, his phrase was, God appears then as the unrehearsed dialogue between two living centers. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it's you. I had no idea. Whoa. Mark, um, knowing the, uh, the way book production is, um, you obviously wrote the Book of Soul not knowing like none of us knew uh, that it would come out during this time of uh, un unique time of global pandemic and shutdown. Would you have written it differently? Would you have said anything different had you known it would come out during a time like this? You know, the, the essence of the book, no, mm -hmm. because I, I feel like the things I've been called to explore and put into words um, speak to uh, to where we're being asked to look. What I have, I obviously would have framed it in a lot of the, what we're talking about and mm -hmm. contextualized it, but that would have just been, you know, the gate opening up to the yard. I, I wouldn't have changed anything. Good. And, and uh, before we go, since we're on this subject and we are in this time, um, what would you like to leave our listeners with as uh, something to take away to help the people who are having difficulty uh, dealing yeah. with this. Well, I'd like to folk, I'd like to go back and talk about fear for just a minute mm -hmm. because I think it's it's so uh, you know we are being uh, fear gets its power from not looking and from the future and the past. When, and so no one can eliminate fear. Fear has a proper place, but we, being human. We tend to inflate it. So our job, all of us, and I can't tell anyone how to do this. I'm figuring it out myself every day. But our job when we feel fear is to return to the moment, which we can do by breathing and giving our full attention to whatever's before us that is not filled with our fear. So that means if I'm afraid right now and I see the tree outside my window and there's a, a bird on it, I breathe and I give all my attention to that bird, which is not a part of my fear. Not to turn from fear to something else, but to enlarge our heart so it can hold everything and we can right size it. Great. Yeah. <clears throat> well put, Mark. Thank you so very much for your time again. Uh, great, great points. And uh, again, uh, for our listeners, 
if you're listening before June, uh, when, when uh, Mark is going to be on available online, uh, we'll have all that information posted up. Yes, and uh, the new book, The Book of Soul. Um, Mark, I think one of your gifts is uh, to uh, help people uh, sanctify the ordinary, to see the sacred and use ordinary life as a, a doorway into the, the divine. And I can't think of anything more ordinary than being forced to stay home. And uh, <laughs> so I'm sure the book will be very useful for people, especially at this time. Well, uh, thank you, guys. Thank you both. It's great to be with you again. You too. And uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks again. All right. You guys Thank take you. care. Be well.